0: Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, you are absolutely in the right place. Today's buzz, the crystal ball. I know, I know. We usually save the predictions for the end of the show. Well, we're starting out with them. Okay, let's talk. Change is inevitable. Come on, we all agree. We all know it's true. You can't run, you can't hide. Things are changing. The world is changing. But today we're seeing an unprecedented pace and scale of change. One of my favorite uh, terms for it is from Edie Weiner, Edie winder however she pronounces it she calls it templosion that means everything is happening bigger and faster than ever before and guess what this presents unique challenges for the future of business I don't care where you are in the world what your business is whether you're an employee a manager an owner an entrepreneur with that gleam in your eye it's not the same business climate it was even a few years ago so what is the potential worldwide business impact this is what we all want to know and that's why we're looking at the crystal ball of what 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 we'll call the new and emerging paradigms, energy innovations, physical, digital boundary blurring, we'll explain that, decentralization of business, and other global drivers. Well, we want answers, so what did we do? We looked into the future, and we found three now-futurists to come to the Game Changers Roundtable. I'm so pleased to welcome, they've all been back, I've been on the show before, on many of our shows. We keep transporting them from series to series, because futurists just just rock, that's all I can say. Let me tell you who's on the panel today. First up, I will be in a moment welcoming Frank Diana, Principal of Future of Business at TCS. Joining him on the panel will be Gray Scott, CEO at Sirius wonder.com. And joining them will be Doug Freud, the Global Hana Center of Excellence at SAP. That's where he works. So let's talk to Frank. Diana and Frank has sent me a wonderful quote from somebody named Gerd Leonhard. Let me just tell you who that is. He's a musician by origin, Gerd Leonhard connects left and right brains for a 360 degree coverage of the multiple futures that present themselves at any one time. Something about the, the real utopia, R-E-A-L, oh, real opia. Okay. Not sure where that's going. Uh, turning futurism into a pragmatic science designed to reinforce strategic thinking. Gerd and his boutique, the futures agency, there's that word again, represent an additional mind for mastering the complex nodal points of change that dictate evolution or extinction in the digital age frank diana you got to help me translate this but here's the quote frank has selected from Gerd. quote our world is entering a period of truly transformative change where many of us will be surprised by the scale and pace of developments we simply hadn't anticipated frank diana long time have you been
2: good How have you been
1: very well, thank you. I think futurist, I think you, I think Gray, and now I think Doug Freud. So, and and bringing back the old old name Freud into the future, that's a good one. So, we'll be talking to him in a minute. Frank, tell me, what is Gerd Leonhardt talking about? I read his bio, whatever I could find, and uh, I need you to translate for me.
2: Well, first and foremost, uh, that quote is from a new book that he just launched in September called Technology Versus Humanity, and right. it's already become a bestseller on Amazon, and he's really talking um, about the ethics of our future, the, the pace that we've talked about in terms of change, and what it may drive if it goes ungoverned, if you will. And so the book's all about that. It kind of presents the other side of the innovation argument, if you will. But the quote is obviously very relevant, as it says, not only is the, is the pace of change accelerating, things are happening much faster than we, than we think they will, um, but things that we just don't anticipate are are happening, and they're likely to happen on an accelerating scale as time goes forward. And you don't need to look any further than what's happening in the autonomous vehicle space. In just a year, six months, the rapid pace at which that that whole space is exploding, you don't have to look any further than that to really be convinced that uh, that quote uh, has some some real meaning.
1: Frank, let me ask you a question. Who is driving this change? Are we all eager to get to the next place, the next future? The future is, you know, you've heard me say this, the future is... Right after I stopped talking, that was the future, it was the present for just a split second and now it's already the past. Where is this, this need or this urgency for change? Is civilization catching up to itself or how, where is this coming from? Where's the energy coming from?
2: Well, it's a great question and really the first time in history that it's coming from sources outside of government and military and even business, innovation is really uh, available to anybody, right? The rising billions that we talk about, the, the amount of folks entering the online community with their ideas, their capacity, their thoughts, really spurring, spurring innovation. And and this phenomena around techno-philanthropists, these wealthy individuals. We just saw uh, the Facebook guy, uh, the billions and some dollars for a disease, right? I mean, uh, they, these guys throwing money at world challenges like we've never seen before. And so that's all spurring the pace. It's all driving... Uh, money into areas that that will solve major world challenges. But it has a downside, right? We we can talk about that as we go.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you for saying I asked a good question. I'm always honored when you say that to me. (laughs) I'm basking in the glow. I appreciate it. And I did see that his newest work is Technology Versus Humanity. I just didn't get to that in the bio. He uses a lot of big words, puts them together in an interesting way. So thank you for translating. I appreciate that. And now let's welcome Gray Scott, another one of our favorite futurists. He keeps coming back over and over again on so many of our series. And Gray has sent me a quote from Steven Pinker. Let me read a little bit of background here. Also a very prolific person. Steven Arthur Steve Pinker, born in 1915. is a Canadian-born American cognitive scientist, psychologist, linguist, and popular science author. He is the Johnston, that's John Stone, family professor in the Department of Psychology at Harvard University. And he's the author of seven books for a general audience, very interesting titles like The Language Instinct, How the Mind Works, Words and Rules, The Blank Slate, The Stuff of Thought. His sixth book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, make the case that violence in human society has steadily declined and identifies the identifies the six major causes. And his seventh book, The Sense of Style from 2014, is a style guide informed by modern science and psychology. Very interesting about how to understand writing. Here's the quote that Gray has selected. Okay, human evolution at first seems extraordinary. How could the process that gave rise to slugs and oak trees, and fish, produce a creature that can fly to the moon and invent the internet and cross the ocean in boats. Gray Scott, great quote from Steven Pinker. How are you, Gray? I'm doing well, Bonnie. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for the quote. Are you, would you, have you read all seven of Mr. Pinker's books?
3: <laughs> I haven't read all of his books, but I follow his work, and uh, I think he's, he's on the money with, with the way that he's thinking about how this thing is evolving.
1: So, tell me something. What's your favorite part of the quote? A human evolution seems extraordinary. Is this still something we're wondering at in this age where we are we're questioning the, the difference between technology and humanity? Can they live side by side? What's your answer to my question to, to Frank Diana? Where is the energy for all of this transformation coming from? Well, we have
3: to remember, Bonnie, that technology is an agreement, uh, and so is business. It's a human agreement. You know, we make agreements with each other to abide by certain rules. And those rules are starting to change. And one of the ways that that's changing is the decentralization of everything, really, uh, in the markets, within our lives. I mean, when you, can, when you can get a 3D printer that can print another 3D printer, as I've said before, that changes what it means to do business in, on this planet. And so that's a new agreement. It's a new narrative that we have to start using. And we have to stop using the old narrative of business and the, the agreement that we've made.
1: Very interesting. You and I have spoken so many times on so many of our Game Changers series, <clears throat> and I've never heard that concept before. Let me ask you one more question, Gray. The, the beginning of the Steven Pinker quote is human evolution for at first seems extraordinary, at first. So what would the, what's mm-hmm. the second thought that he had about that? I hear it coming with a dot, 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 but what's after the but? Well it's interesting
3: because we we the the human mind the modern human mind doesn't really have a concept of evolution because we we don't have a reference for it because we've always found ourselves in this time period. But when you you know as a futurist part of my job is to get people to expand their horizon of thinking and to not only think about the future but also think about the full picture. And when you, can, when you can assimilate all of that information into one grand concept, then you see that we are just in one step of the process, that this isn't the end game, that there are other stages coming. And once you know and realize that, and once you take that on board, then you can start making better decisions about what's next, how to move forward with your business, how to move forward with your life.
1: Thank you. Very profound. I appreciate that, Gray. And now let me welcome Doug Freud from the Global Hana Center of Excellence at SAP. And Doug has reached back in time for a quote from one of our most quoted people on all of our Game Changer shows. Doug, it's Albert Einstein, eighteen seventy nine to nineteen fifty five. You know, when I see that date, that the year that he passed away, Doug, it makes me think he was here just a few minutes ago because I'm a boomer, and I think nineteen fifty five. Well, I was alive then. I I don't know. It couldn't have been that far ago. And then I think, wait a minute. That's a long time. It's more than 50 years ago. Be still my heart. The, uh, by the way, the rest of it is uh, Einstein is often depicted at a blackboard writing his famous E equals MC squared equation, which is the world's most famous equation, a mathematical formula I've read with the power to transcend the barriers of language and culture. And I just loved his hair. Let's, let's leave it at that. Here is the, <laughs> the new profound quote that we don't. Yeah, I try not to. Not to uh, yeah, not to emulate that. Reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. Love the quote, Doug Freud. Have you been?
4: I'm all good, uh, um, having having fun, uh, and super excited to be part of the the futurists.
1: Well, we are very glad. Yes, we have quite a cadre here. We have Frank and Gray, and we can add your name to the list. So tell me, how futuristic are you? And talk to me about this quote. I'm not familiar with this one from Einstein. We get a lot of others over and over again, but this is a new one to me. So reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. Are we knocking our heads against a brick, virtual brick wall or a real brick wall when we want to look for, be real, be authentic, real, be rooted in reality? Talk to me, Doug.
2: Yeah, so I, I, I
4: like this quote because, uh, you know, as, uh, with first of all, it's the last name of Freud, you know, and a background in psychology, uh, yeah, nice. I think this is very perceptive of him, which is, you know, as humans, we, we bring all sorts of uh, biases in how we process uh, information and, you know, just the way, the mechanism of the way the brain works. And, and you know, the way we perceive reality is, uh, is, is flawed. And the way we process information is flawed so uh however it's all it's all the we have so uh so one. As we as we evolve and we develop new technologies, uh, they're going to change our reality. And uh, we the, the the basic mechanisms that we've used, we're we're going to have to figure out ways to accept uh, new approaches and new ideas as as, as the world evolves, uh, with you know artificial intelligence and machine learning as, as the basis of that.
1: Interesting. Um, when I think of reality, I think of present, current, right now, as I'm speaking with the three of you. And I'm thinking reality is merely, merely an illusion because the minute we finish a sentence, we're no longer in reality. We're hurtling toward the future. Am I, am I on a track here or am I, am I all mixed up, Doug? <laughs> Tell me. Oh, I, I think, uh, yeah. Uh,
4: you know, so humans have this need for causality, and so, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds yes. of years ago, we used to think that, you know, how do, you know, the sun rose every day and went across the sky. And, we, you know, for a long time, the best answer to that was you know, the best way we could, you know, what's the cause of that? Were there were gods pushing it. And it wasn't until, you know, we entered, uh, you know, the modern age of, of science we had better explanations for it. But for a long time, that was the best explanation for it. And that, that was our reality. So w- once we once we get some first principle science, uh, uh, we have better ideas of how why the sun rises and sets every day, and so uh, so our ability to kind of uncover that is is super important and uh, and, and 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 changing very very quickly. I'd like to point out.
1: Thank you. I I appreciate your comment about causality. I think that's the basis for most of the uh, murder mysteries and the crime dramas we have on TV is is who did what to whom and what were they thinking and why did they do it. Cause and effect. That's what we're always searching for. And I think that mirrors our reality. Thank you, Doug. And nice to have you back. You were on a show with me a couple of years ago. So we're delighted to have you join this panel. We have to do a shout out to David S. Fowler. Dave Fowler, SAP, who's the sponsor of this series. Yes, Dave, we put together another really good panel here. So I'm going to circle back back to Frank Diana and ask Frank you know what's coming Frank a little up close and personal where are you calling from and what are you drinking today
2: Well I am calling from Central New Jersey and I, if you're home then you know it's pretty raw and cold and rainy Yep You're in Central New Jersey and so I am drinking <laughs> a hot cup of tea with the honey
1: Okay, well, I'm in uh, the on the north shore of Long Island, and it is kind of cold and nasty and chilly, and, and oh my goodness, and I haven't gotten to the tea yet. I'm just drinking my cool water. I'm going, What kind of tea? What's your favorite, Frank? Anything exotic?
2: No, actually, you'll laugh, but it's a breathe again tea so that I can actually breathe again. <laughs> it is
1: the fall. Okay, one, thank you. Uh. Thank you very much. Okay, I'm glad you can breathe again. Ditto. Gray Scott, where are you? You in New York City today? Should I wave to you out the window, Gray?
3: <laughs> you should, Bonnie. I'm, I'm back in New York uh, for a couple of days, and um, I'm actually drinking coffee because today is National Coffee Day.
1: Uh, it is, and, and don't tell anybody at SAP because I'm going to do that on my team call. We have words of the week and all kinds of interesting things, and I was planning to spring on them in case they didn't know it that it's, uh, yes, National Coffee Day. So, yeah, don't tell anybody on my team, Gray. What kind of coffee do you prefer?
3: <laughs> uh, Vienna Roast is what I'm drinking.
1: Okay, and is it a big cup, a little cup? You put anything in it, cream, sugar, flavoring, anything, or just straight up? Uh Almond
3: milk is what I'm using with no sugar.
1: Mm, sounds interesting. Thank you very much, and welcome back to New York. And Doug Freud, where are you right now, and what are you drinking?
4: Uh, I am in lovely Downers Grove, Illinois, which is a western suburb of Chicago at the SAP office. <laughs> and I am also drinking coffee, and I'd like to point out that every day is coffee day for me. Uh, so uh, I'm drinking a, a dark roast uh, with just, just black.
1: Okay, sounds very good. And as you already know, well, Doug doesn't remember, but Gray and Frank know they don't let me have caffeinated beverages on radio show days, and we know why. There you go. Maybe in a future future realm, I'll be able to drink coffee and talk on the radio and, and have people understand me. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is the Future of Business with Game Changers Radio. I'm trying to see what David Fowler is drinking. He hasn't tweeted it yet, but... He asked the question on Twitter, by the way, we're tweeting at hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O, all one word. How do you know what customers are going to want tomorrow and know it yesterday? Listen now. So he's out there doing some promos to get some attention to the show. Thank you, Dave Fowler. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We have a lot more coming up, a lot of interesting points on the roundtable. We're talking about three futurists walk into a bar. Guess what? They're here. We're going to talk to them more. Okay, Michael out.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at twitter hashtag sapradio now let's get back to the future of business with game changers
1: Absolutely. The future of business is the future. It's right now with Frank Diana, Gray, Scott, and Doug Freud. And we're talking about looking into the crystal ball. What happens when three futurists walk into a bar? Well, this is the bar. Of course, it's virtual. We're raising the bar. We're going to be talking now about what do they see? We're going to kick off the round table with Frank Diana. Frank sent me some very interesting notes here, but we're going to start this part of the show with complexity. And Frank says, a convergence of paradigm shifts that shifts plural is the new norm and we can no longer accurately predict the future but instead must rehearse it frank this is great it's very theatrical talk to me what is this
2: (laughs) oh good i was going with theatrical (laughs) (laughs) Um, i try
1: not to be talk to me
2: (laughs) well um i the question i get asked the most is a comparison to past transformative periods and, and why this period, um, why I believe this period is different than some of the past periods. And so I think this, this um, statement speaks to that. If you think about the past, and the most transformative period in history still dates back to the first Industrial Revolution um, facilitated and driven by the steam engine. And that was one paradigm shift that really drove a massive change to society, but it, it took a couple centuries for that change to really take hold. We're dealing today with a series of paradigm shifts in and of themselves, massively transformative. Great talks a lot about 3D printing and decentralization. Those are all paradigm shifts. And if you throw in the autonomous vehicles and, and smart cities, and I can go on and on and on, these are all paradigm shifts that are massively transforming, and they're converging on one another. And as those intersections happen, they amplify the effect and create just a boatload of complexity. And because of all that, I'm a big believer that predictions, although we can always predict at some level the pace the number of these shifts that start to, to, to make shifts themselves is very, very difficult to see where they're going. So I'm a big believer that leaders need to continually, iteratively rehearse these paths, understand the potential shifts and changes, and, and shift with them, and be adaptive enough to shift as they shift. So that's the premise.
1: Thank you. Very interesting. Gray, let's get you to weigh in on this. What are your thoughts?
3: Well, I, I love what Frank's saying here about Um, leaders being able to shift as things change and being able to visualize those innovations and how they're going to affect their business and how they're going to affect the way that they literally think. And so part of uh, what I think is going to be so complex about the future is that everything is decentralized now. You know, this is not uh, Ford creating the car. This is every kid in the country in their basement being able to create a new technology, and then those have to; those are complex systems that get built together that create the new innovations. And so, it is very complex uh, to keep up with the future. I mean, that's that's the biggest challenge for any futurist is really keeping up with how things are changing.
1: Thank you, Gray. Doug Freud, join us. So
3: this notion
4: of rehearsal is a, a very interesting, clever idea. In in uh, there's uh, in the in the mathematical, statistical world, you know. Of course, people for a long time have been trying to do simulation with uh, you know, various, various degrees of effect. But I, I think it's it's a really an important uh, it's a really important notion that leaders really think through what are the different uh, different approaches uh, uh, that you know, that their business can change. And simulation is certainly an approach for kind of thinking about how to do that. Uh, so, yeah, as the world gets more complex, explaining it becomes uh, trickier and uh, the way that humans can, you know, try to causally understand. And uh, as a result, uh, a lot of times the predictions, we, as, we, as we said, we can't predict um, how those predictions work uh, sometimes causes confusion, uh, and you know this is this is going to be the world of AI, which is we're going to get really interesting predictions, but we won't necessarily know why or how we're getting them. And and leaders will have a really a real challenge in, the, in their business to understand, you know, you know how this is going to work. So let's say, let's make this a little bit more concrete. So mm-hmm. so if the autonomous vehicles come into play. Uh, you know what's going to happen to the car insurance world. Well, you know, there's still need car insurance, but will we need the same level in car insurance? And if we think about, you know, as we listen to our media, you know, things like radio and television, I think one out of every two or three ads seems to be a car insurance commercial. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what happens if, if their business, you know, plunges off a cliff? So, you know, so the autonomous vehicle, you may not think of how it affects media. It may affect media in an interesting way. So, uh, so kind of rehearsal and thinking about in simulation is, is things that leaders in all sorts of areas are going to have to certainly do and rehearsal is, I think, an extremely clever and important concept.
1: Doug, let me ask you a question. I'll go around the table before I, I move on to another topic. Do leaders know this? Did they get this? Or are they still sitting and saying, oh, God, we've already had so many changes in the past couple of years. Do we really have to keep on this treadmill? Are they tired of it? Or are they saying, oh, yes, bring it on. We're going to rehearse this. We're going to look at this. We're going to work with our futurists. Where do they sit, these leaders we're talking about, anonymously?
4: Well, uh, I think it depends. You know, I think in government – leaders are woefully underprepared, under and they don't seem to be talking about these types of issues in any way, shape, or form. Just look at our mm. current presidential elections as, as an example. But business leaders, they have to be doing this. Uh, uh, you, you know, if you, if you don't... I have not encountered an industry where this change is, is not going to have an effect on, uh, on, on, on everyone. So if you're, if you're not thinking about how data... And uh, predictions and machine learning and AI is going to change your business uh you're you're not you're not being a leader
1: Ah, very interesting Frank Diana, weigh in on this. What do you think about my question? Are leaders aware? Do you agree or disagree with doug and
2: uh, so I want to respond to your question and actually had a comment on what Doug said earlier um, mm-hmm. first the question uh, I, I do I do see. Somewhat of a shift in perspectives, I'd say maybe in the last six months at the leadership level, it's almost like a a light bulb has gone off and some acceptance and acknowledgement of what's happening out there is starting to come to the fore, because in the past, it's been a real struggle to get uh, leaders anywhere, whether it's government or business, to see the urgency. I think that's the key word here, is the urgency of uh, addressing what's coming. Uh, and, And it links back to the comments that Doug was making earlier. If you look at just one scenario, like the autonomous vehicle, and I do this a lot with audiences, you, you mm-hmm. show them the breadth and depth of impact of just that one scenario, and, and the room just goes, goes quiet, overwhelmed, and, and I always get the reaction that I had no idea of the breadth and depth of impact of just one scenario. Uh, and that, that's, the, that's sort of the tipping point for folks. My God, you know, something that I had no idea would impact my industry will impact my industry. And going back to my point earlier, and that's just one shift, right? When you look at the 30 or 40 or 50 shifts that are piling up on each other, it, it's, it's hard not to perceive the future as the most transformative period in history.
1: Mm, thank you, Gray. Love to have your thoughts on this.
3: I think it's really critical that every company has scenario planning built into every decision making at this point because there are so many bits of information coming out. There's so many that to make your next step, right? To take that next step, you have to have all of the information. Why invest all of this money and time and resource if you haven't done the proper scenario planning? And I, I can tell you from what Frank is saying, I've experienced the same thing when I've talked to individuals uh, or crowds. When you paint a scenario for the future, you visualize a scenario for the future, a lot of them will say to you, I never... To ask those questions, I never even thought about those scenarios, hmm. and so that's really critical, beyond critical. I mean, if you're if you're not doing that inside the company, uh, there's trouble.
1: Thank you, Gray. Okay, and let me ask uh, Gray the question I asked to Doug: Are leaders prepared, Are they even? You say it sounds like from what you're saying when you go in front of audiences, they're surprised. But are they? Prepared with digital skills? Are they prepared with visionary skills? Are their teams prepared to acknowledge and go with that paradigm shift, or are they just sitting there saying, "Nah, not me. Nah, some other time. Nah, not my company right now. We're good. We're good. Thanks a lot. <laughs> pour, pour me another well, beer." What funny? are they I saying? Have,
3: I have to. I have to tell you a funny story very quickly. Yes. um I was speaking at the London Business School. Uh, I had just written a chapter in a book called "The Future of Business." Mm-hmm. And my chapter was about decentralization and digitization um, and so I you know I'm standing in front of this crowd and I'm telling them that we're headed towards a crunch that we are literally headed towards a digital crunch where the goal is to crunch all of our information so if I said to SAP or any company that I have a thumb drive that can hold all of your company's information, I could write myself a blank check and so'm I'm, I'm talking about the crunch and digitization of humanity and all this and so I finish, and I come off the stage, and there's a couple sitting uh, not too far away from me, and I could hear what they said. And the guy says, wow, he's really way out there. <laughs> and I just giggled to myself <laughs> because I thought, that's what you think about what I just said. This is, this is real stuff. This is real business. Yeah. And if, we, if we're not talking about the, the crunch, the digitization, the de- decentralization in these scenarios, then, yeah, the mindset needs to change.
1: It certainly does. Thank you very much. I love the story. You can t- say anything funny you want anytime, Gray Scott. I, I like to hear your version of funny. I appreciate that. <laughs> Speaking of which, Gray, I'm looking at your notes here. Some some good topic. Let's do a little bit of a paradigm shift from what we've been talking about. Uh, I I'm just going to throw three thoughts out on the table. I'll let you pick where you want to go. Number one, you talk about a resource future. The next great frontier is resource harvesting. That's one thought. The next one is digitization of Everything. The next wave of service is the digitization of experience, and the third one is the automation of everything—from factory jobs to childcare. Press a button, wave your hand, say a command, and your personal AI will automate your desires. Ooh, where do you want to go, Gray? Well, I love the idea of automating everything. Okay. Uh, when you when you think
3: about the concept of automation in general. Right now, we think of it on an industrial level. But really, so for example, I have a couple of uh, Twitter accounts that are automated. So I don't actually mm-hmm. tweet from those. Those pull from news feeds that I've set. So that's an automated system. So there's, I have one Twitter account that I've, I haven't checked in six months, that I, I, I know that it's tweeting exactly what I want it to tweet that's relevant for my business.
1: Well, hold, so on, hold on. How do you do that? How, can you just give us a little tip here? How do you do that?
3: There are a couple of programs that I'm using uh, within my website in the background that just pull uh, specific feeds. You set hashtags, and it will pull those hashtags relevant to your business. So one of my hashtags is future, of, of course, uh, or futuristic. So that's just one system. There's a very small piece of automation that's freed up, let's say, an hour a week of my life so I can do other things. And yet I'm getting the benefit of that communication with people. But imagine being able to automate everything in your life, right? Everything that was tedious in your life. Now, I wish that we could automate our exercise routines. That would be fantastic, but we can't, (laughs) (laughs) at least not yet. But imagine being able to automate the things that feel tedious, that drag us down. And this this goes to the the mass public, but it also goes to CEOs and companies in general. If you can automate the things that get in your way of innovating – Think about how much we could get accomplished. And so I think the automation future, the automated future is, is really fascinating.
1: Imagine being able to automate everything tedious in your life that gets in the way of creating. And, and, wow, that's, I can't even imagine. I'm trying to make a mental list of all the things I would do. I don't know. Um, l- let's talk to Doug Freud. Doug, we've got some very provocative thoughts on the table here from Gray. What are your thoughts?
4: So uh, the idea of automating is, is very close to my heart. <laughs> so uh, in uh, the 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 notion of uh, uh, automation and just this thinking or, or verbalizing what you want and having it happen is is you know that's where that's where the race is. Who can automate the uh, and get rid of the graphical user interface just so you can talk. And get and have you know bots or whatever technology make it happen. That that's you know we're in a big race right now to see who can who can get that done. And you know I think we probably all know who the players are. You know it's going to be Google and uh, Apple and, and uh, Microsoft and uh, uh, and Facebook. They're in their race to, to make this automation uh, a reality. Now, the other the other uh, before I move on, and I just want to circle back very quickly on this notion of leadership and innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. The you know, if we look at these companies I just talked about, there' are a reason there are these companies, and they and they, you know, the myth about innovation is it's a, it's a good idea or it happens in isolation. You know, there's a process for innovation. And that's and and you know part of I think what this panel I think would explain to to leadership is you have to figure out how to come up with a process a a design thinking process for your business so you don't get left behind and you think about the innovation and you rehearse the 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 digitization that's the uh, the potential outcomes of this digitization that's that's happening to every business so uh, there's there's you know each of these. Uh, Silicon Valley companies all have taken that to heart and have implemented uh, um, one form or another of what we call design thinking, and this is part of you know what we see successful companies doing.
1: Thank you very much, Doug and Frank Diana. Let's get you in on this thoughts about automating everything. What would you automate, Frank?
2: Oh, where to begin? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, first another example: automation of everything is another one of those shifts, right? So and. And massive implications. So we we talk about the automation of things that are tedious. We will ultimately automate knowledge work, which many, uh, for for, for years, have felt could not be automated. Um, And so where does it end? I mean, the other side of this discussion, one that that book I mentioned from Gerd Leonard references, is what does it mean for jobs? Uh, we, I heard that our political process right now is not really focused on things like this. <laughs> Although they talk about jobs, I mean, the mere notion of bringing manufacturing back, for example, when China's already fully automated factories, well, you might bring it back, but are you bringing jobs back with it? Right. So the the discussion around automation of everything has two p- pieces to it: it's the socially constructive piece, and it's the potentially socially destructive piece. And what are we doing? about the discussion around the potentially destruct- destructive piece. I, I really don't see a whole lot of dialogue there. We see some some things in Europe about basic uh, living wage and those kinds of dialogues that are beginning to happen, but I, I think that's an example of rehearsing. You have to understand the implications of these scenarios.
1: Thank you very much. Gray, any comments to wrap this one up? I've got some hot topics here from Doug Freud's list I want to move on to, but Gray, any thoughts you want to wrap up in a red bow for me? No, I think...
3: The thing to leave this conversation with uh, about automation is that this is going to happen, um, and we have to adjust to that automation future. So preparing yourself for it, investing in it, uh, becoming aware of it, and planning those scenarios for the automated future is, is critical.
1: Thank you very much. Great topic. And now, Mr. Freud, I'm not calling you Dr. Freud, just Mr. Freud. We went through this last time you were on the show. Interesting. uh, Thank you very much. I try to be fair. Interesting comment here. You said you're talking about the decline of explainability. We talked about humans having a thirst for knowledge and Causality. Anything you want to add to that? I have a couple of other topics here, but I love the way you talk about explainability. How is this ingrained in us? Is this something that's going to fight progress in the future?
4: <laughs> yes, I and I, I, I live this uh, sometimes every day, and sometimes uh, the the sometimes it's the le- it's the piece of people who you least think would be uh, uh, would be worried about it. Uh, uh, sometimes it's the engineers uh, who are. Really uh, bent on causality, so they they want to understand how things work. And mm-hmm. uh, if you're, you know, so when I when I when I talk to customers, I'll come in and say I'll draw a continuum of, okay, we can have something really predictable, and you might not know or understand how how the predictions happen, or you can have something really explainable, and you might sacrifice some predictability. Where where are you on this continuum? and uh you know, a lot of people you know don't think of, don't think about it in those terms but it it's really important you know the world grew up with statistics and thinking about three or four factors at once and we'd have small samples of data and we didn't have that time computers or simulations uh, to understand that you know the these old statistical techniques were, were not really as robust because we had to make a lot of assumptions about data but so we and we we, we developed that in a way to kind of Design experiments and to explain, but you know, in today's world, you know, data is not a problem. Having too much data is the problem, and uh, in, in building things that predict, you know, if it predicts better, what do you care if you can't understand how it works? And and that's and a lot of times when I talk about that to people who are engineers, it's a conundrum to them it's because they're, what they want is first principle science. And a lot of times today, the, the machine learning that's available, it, it predicts really, really well. We just can't explain how, how that, that actually happens. So uh, so, it, it, so getting people to understand uh, and accept that is, I, I start, I'm starting to see a tipping point where people are going, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I don't really care as much. It, it depends on the context, and it, it depends on the business, and it depends on the audience.
1: Thank you, Doug. Very well put. Now I want to move on to one of your other talking points here. I think this is interesting, and I think Gray and and Frank will love this one. You talk about the role for humans. The technological change is happening faster than we ever anticipated. We all agree on that. And our social constructs are not moving quickly enough to keep up. As a result, the probability of chaos increases exponentially, the entire economic system will need to adapt and we will need to redefine what humans do. Oh, tell me more, Doug Freud.
4: (laughs) So, uh, and I think we've already, you know, uh, we've already talked about this as a a group, which is, you know, what happens to these humans when autonomous, you know, people who drive for a living, you know, is that a great job? Uh, But, you know, if the autonomous vehicles can do it safer, if they can do it cheaper, and if they can do it more efficiently, isn't that better for society as a whole? Maybe not so good for the people who are the taxi drivers or truck drivers or et cetera. So this is what I think Frank was referring to, to is what's the downside of all this? So I think Mm -hmm. we're going to have to address that as, as, uh, as as a society. You know, so you know, and I think you know. Historically, we've seen this in the Industrial Revolution. It's the blue-collar, you know, laborers who've, who've, who 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 have at times suffered as a result of of this kind of technology. Now, with is Frank alluded is the knowledge worker is going to be affected because we have so much data and so much ability to automate, um, as, as Gray has mentioned, that knowledge workers are going to be affected. So, if you're a radiologist and you look at a picture and make a make a judgment, is that a good job? Or if we can do that better with machine learning, and we can do it cheaper, and we can do it faster, and we, most importantly, can we do it more accurately? Is this still a good job? Is this still the way we should do it? So I think these are, are really tough ethical questions, and, you know, it, it's uh, – it, you know, I think historically, <laughs> when we've had economic woes, we've we've you know we've blamed immigrants and minorities, and, mm-hmm. and now I think moving forward, we're you know we're people are going to start thinking about oh maybe this is Google's fault, maybe this is Microsoft's fault. So uh, so these are the kind of questions that I think we're going to we're going to need to start addressing. Now I think these big companies the 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 Microsofts, the Google's they're going to have to start to address these things. And interestingly enough, in the last couple of days, there's been an announcement of a consortium of these companies, and this is uh, Facebook and Google and Microsoft and IBM, and they've created uh, a whole new, um, what they're calling, um, partnership on AI to address these kind of um, ethical and and best practice concerns uh, about, about AI. So I think the conversation is just starting – Is just going to start now. And I think they're, they're doing this in part to kind of protect their investments in, in this technology. That's a little bit cynical of me. But, um, I, yeah, I, I think we're, we're going to have to address this as a, a, as a society because the changes are going to, is going to come fast and furious.
1: Thank you, Doug. Very eloquent. Before I bring Frank and Gray into this, yes, we have about, oh, about eight minutes till our real predictions, our end of show predictions, even though we've been talking predictions the whole time. Doug, whose job is it anyway? Whose job is it to think about the role of humans? Whose job is it to say, wait a minute, our factory has 952 robots. We've got them named. We know where they live. We know what they like to eat. We bring them to a special automated lunchroom. It's great. It's great. What about the people? We need to keep people in the workforce. Whose job is it to think and advocate for the role of the humans in the workforce? Doug, quick answer from you, and then I can't wait to hear what Frank and Gray have to say. Doug? I
4: think right now it's nobody's job, and that's the problem.
1: That's what I wanted. I didn't want to hear you say, but I think I knew you would. I was predicting what you were going to say. Frank, Diana, what do you think? Whose job is it to keep people in work? Earning, doing, product, producing, thinking, growing. Well, I'm, I'm
2: actually glad to hear about that consortium. I had not heard that before. And in the book I referenced earlier, uh, GERD recommends a, a, a global digital uh, council that uh, is represented across the world, and that council would be chartered or tasked with uh, addressing some of these kinds of things. So a consortium, even though limited, might be a start in that direction, but clearly Something like, like that is necessary. I, I, I sit in the middle of this topic because I'm, I'm, I completely agree with Gray. This is going to happen, but I also completely agree with Doug that there's uh, this considerable downside. I believe the balance is, uh, is is required to ensure that the innovations that tackle severe world challenges that we have never been able to, to solve in the past has to go forward, and you can't inhibit the advancement of innovation for that end. But at the same time, there has, to be, there has to be that balance. There has to be somebody there talking about the impacts to humanity. Is this what we really want uh, of this technology, et cetera, et cetera? And so hopefully, uh, I say hopefully, although again, when you listen to the political dialogue, this is not what people are talking about.
1: That's right. But whose job is it? If you had to sit down in a room and say, okay, I'm going to talk to the leaders of all the major, biggest companies. I call them the behemoth enterprises, Frank, where we would like to see responsibility and, and ethics and social awareness and uh, community contributions and all that good stuff that millennials are starting to ask companies they work for to display. What are you doing for everybody? What are you doing for the world? Okay. Whose job would it be? Would there be a chief human role officer, Frank? What would we call this person or this team?
2: I mean, from the context of business, maybe there's a role there. I just don't think it's limited to business, right? This discussion is much bigger than that. Universities and, and businesses and governments and military. I mean, society in general has to be, have a seat at the table to have this conversation, right? So, I mean, maybe there's a role in the business world. I think the futurists have to play a much bigger role in the business world. Maybe it's part of their, their role. But
3: um, it's a broader problem.
1: Thank you. Appreciate that. Gray Scott, what do you think? Whose job is it?
3: Well, Bonnie, I've said before that the future belongs to everybody. And I don't think there's one person that needs to have that responsibility. I think every single person out there has to get involved with creating the future. Otherwise, we will have these uh, dangerous bridges that we will cross where, there are, where automation is taking over and the jobs aren't there. So everyone needs to prepare for this future, this automated future. And so again, <clears throat> the future belongs to everyone. And so we we all play a part in creating that future.
1: Okay, Doug, you started this topic with me. What do you think? Agree or disagree? Uh,
3: so, uh, so first of
4: all, I agree with Gray that this is going to happen <laughs> regardless. That uh, there's there's no there will be no stopping it. So uh, I and, and I also agree with Frank that I, I think that you know. We're not talking about it politically, and, and we need, I think we need our leaders uh, politically to become aware of that, you know, yeah, that bringing back manufacturing jobs, that's just not a reality. Yeah, the, 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 the may be manufactured here, but it's going to be manufactured by in an automated way. So we, we need to think about this and have a broader, topic, broader discussion that says just because it's possible does not does it necessarily mean it's the best idea. So Andrew Ng, who's a very, very well-known data scientist, uh, postulated uh, about this and said, we as a society, we may have to kind of come to grips with everyone will get some kind of salary, even if not working. And what what we will need these people to do is to educate themselves on the jobs that are available. And that's going to be a really... (laughs) <laughs> Tough uh, way for uh, for for us to go, uh, given you know our traditional political culture, but I think that's a reality.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes before we go to the crystal ball lightning round. I'm looking at the rest of the notes here. Um, Gray, there are a couple of, two provocative statements here. I don't think we've covered specifically. The one I want to ask you about is you call it novelty experts. Experience will be a resource in the future. What is a novelty expert? Is there anybody on this panel today who's a novelty expert? Well, I think
3: part of the novelty experience, the sort of experience economy in the future a lot of that has to do with, let's say, virtual reality or augmented reality, right? So these are jobs that that didn't exist 20 years ago. So imagine your job in the future is to create novel experiences inside of virtual reality scenarios. That is a career in the future. So a lot of this, I do agree that automation is going to take jobs, but we're also creating new kinds of jobs. So that's what I'm saying about everyone getting involved in the future. It's like, Taking a look at you know is my industry collapsing? is is my job collapsing? and what what are my desires for work in the future, and what what am I good at? What can I get involved with? And one of these is this novelty expert, where you say to someone, "Look, I can create uh, a novelty experience inside of a virtual reality scenario, and that can be packaged and that can be given to uh, the customer. So that's just that's just one small piece of of, of the future.
1: What, give me an example, Gray. I'm, I'm, I won't say I'm struggling, but what would, what would be one of those? You say here they should be intimate and personal to the user that we'll need to have as part of the new business models. What would be one, for example, uh, let's talk about retail, going into Mm -hmm. a retail store, or would it be virtual shopping on a, on a website through e-commerce? Where would that, what would the novelty expert, if you were that novelty (laughs) expert, if you were leading the charge, I am Gray Scott. I am going to Mm -hmm. show you what a novelty expert is. How would you define (laughs) that job? So this is a
3: perfect example. How many hours have we spent online searching for a specific product, whether it's a a jacket, a pair of shoes? And, I mean, I've spent literally hours looking through tons of different websites, looking at different shoes, and still not finding exactly what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Using predictive AI um, and and novelty experts, that, that predictive AI should know what colors I like, you know what designers I like and the celebrities that I like and, and matching those together in a way that, that is personal to me and my shopping experience. That changes what it means to have an online shopping experience.
1: Interesting. Let's go around the table. Uh, Doug, what would your novelty expert create for you? Or if you were the novelty expert, what would you create?
4: <laughs> uh, good question. Uh, so... And and I think the retail world is is about to kind of, you know, be transformed in in a huge way. Uh, So, you know, I I think smarter people than me have said retail is dead. Uh, I don't necessarily totally agree with that, but I think kind of this experiential kind of um, uh, I- experiential shopping is is you know is what's going to happen whether it happens virtual reality or whether we you know as humans we still like to gather in in, in some sort of a socialized way um i think that that's a reality so uh, i you know i would like uh, in a, whether it's so, whether it's in augmented reality or in a physical space i I would like to go and try products out uh and experience them uh so i have a better idea before before i invest my money um i guess is my is my Short, bad answer to that question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sorry to put you on the spot. We got a little in the mud there, Frank Diana. We are officially in the predictions round, and I'm I'm going to call this part three. Three futurists walk into a bar. Wait till you hear what they're going to predict. So, Frank Diana, why don't I give you 60 seconds? You can predict what a novelty expert would do for you in the business world, or what you would you would do as a novelty expert. Anything you want. Predictions. You know how this works. Frank Diana, TCS, go.
2: Well, I'll I'll look out to 2020 and just say that, you know, three, four short years from now, we'll look back and marvel at the pace of change and what has transpired in those three to four years. And and if I look back to 2006, which is the point in time where most folks think the exponential pace that we're on started, and if you just consider what's happened since 2006 and, uh, and appreciate that 10 years later, everything has evolved to the point where it's even faster, then I think in three to four years it's safe to assume that we're going to see some considerable, considerable things that we just did not anticipate. Uh, and that could mean, you know, autonomous vehicles have accelerated beyond our belief. It could mean that 3D printing is taking manufacturing and distribution back uh, because you can do it locally. I mean, there's a number of things that could transpire in those three to four years, but the message is that we'll look back and say, wow, I had no idea that this would all transpire in that short, short window.
1: Thank you very much. Do you, do you like Edie Wiener's term, it's implosion, Frank? not a fit, nah,
2: not really. <laughs> okay. I like the plosion part, and I'm not sure about the temp.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think she could have done a little better with the first half of the word. I agree with the first part. I agree with you. The first syllable left me thinking, what? Okay, <laughs> well, we'll have to predict what we'd do with that one. Edie, no disrespect, but we are talking about you. Gray Scott, 60 seconds, what do you predict?
3: Well, I do think the future is going to be decentralized. Uh, everything is going to be digitized, uh, which is part of the novelty experience, um, Getting everyone digitized into a digital virtual reality world—that's that really is the future of our species. Uh, we're seeing it everywhere, and so there are lots of jobs that we're going to see by 2025, and lots of uh, companies that 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 you know take advantage of that. And one specific example is asteroid mining. So why should we leave asteroid mining? We know this is going to happen to the people that are involved in it. Why not be able to travel virtually with those people and see in real time what they're experiencing? That's an entire industry. That's a a novelty experience that that you can stay in your home, put on your virtual reality headset, and watch this asteroid being mined in real time. I mean, that's an industry right there in itself.
1: Thank you very much, Gray. <clears throat> Man of few words but always packs a punch. And Doug Freud, I can give you exactly sixty seconds. What would you like to predict as a futurist?
4: So I, I would like to say my, my prediction would be as follows is now we're entering the world of naive AI and where <clears throat> we solve very we solve problems but in a in, in a naive way. In the next in the next five years, we will enter an era of strong AI, where uh, we won't just develop certain applications to solve specific problems, but we'll have uh, uh, more generalized programs that can solve all sorts of different types of problems, and that the the GUI that what we're traditionally used to in, in interacting with uh, our world will be replaced by. Um, by, by voice, the voice as the user interface, user, user interface, and it's just the most natural way for us uh, to think and communicate and to, and to interact
1: thank you very much wow great predictions great conversation thank you all for accepting our invitation shout out to Dave Fowler by the way I predict that Dave Fowler is at the Gwen Hotel drinking a hot cup of coffee and he's at the SAP IM&C run live day in downtown Chicago how do I know that oh I just divined it but I have a feeling that's where he is yes he told me I want to thank Dave Fowler of course for putting this together Frank Diana always a pleasure don't be a stranger come back and we'll talk about the other thing off air Gray Scott seriouswonder.com you are a serious wonder Gray Scott where are you traveling next to Greg quick question any city on your map coming up I'm going to Seoul South Korea Oh, my goodness. We'll have to get you back after that and Doug Freud at SAP. Doug, you are officially one of our top three futurists. You've entered the realm. What can I tell you? A shout-out to Michael and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. I'm going to have to come up with a futuristic call to action. Guys, you're going to have to help me with it. I'll do the same old one. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game-changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. (music) Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO, and please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.
2: Network, its staff, and management.